Well, hey, there you are, you fabulous interior design professional. Welcome to Business of Design, the podcast that gets you and understands what you're up against out there. Oh, yes, I do. Believe me, I do. I am Kimberly Selden. I am an interior design professional. My guess is you are too, and you're in the right place. This is episode 264. And we are talking about the three P's with Lanson B. Jones. You know, I learned ages ago that if I actually wanted to understand my business, I got only the most basic fundamentals from design school. After that, I was really on my own. Forget business. I got nothing from design school in terms of running a business and that we figured out and you know that story. But when it came to decorating, I didn't know anything either. I didn't grow up with money. I didn't grow up surrounded by antiques. So I gave myself an education by traveling. When I go to a new city, I always hire a guide to teach me about the architecture and the design. If there's a museum that's in a home, I always take those tours and get a docent to teach me about the architecture, the site, the time period, what things cost back then versus now. And our guest today talks about that as well. He's a landscape architect from Houston, Lanson B. Jones, and he talks about the fact that he did a semester abroad and he was able to then absorb the differences between 16th, 17th, 18th century architecture and garden design. And that allows us to speak with authority to our clients. I know you love this chair that you saw on Pinterest, but it doesn't have the right spirit for the style you want to create in your home. Now, we can make a statement out of it. If you want this one chair to be the thing that stands out in the space, we can do that. But to get it right is going to take discipline And I know that because I've studied design. And you can't study design on Pinterest. It doesn't work that way. I have to immerse myself. That doesn't mean you have to be traveling to Europe. In the last couple of years, we haven't done a lot of that. And certainly with things going on now, of course, maybe we're reluctant at the moment as well. But there are likely period homes close to you. And even touring those spaces can be incredible. I just did a couple tours of state park homes in California and learned a lot about the process of tile making and what the various colors meant to people of the time and what the style and the shapes and the patterns meant in terms of the language of architecture. Being curious is how Lanson describes it, and I do understand that. And it's been such a joy and a passion to be able to learn more wherever I go. It's one of the reasons I'm so keen to get Business of Design members on the road again, starting with the retreat, which I'm sure Cheryl is going to mention. But we have talked for years about let's take another group to Paris. It's been a long time. We should do that. Anyway, I know you're going to really enjoy our guest today, Lanson. Let me tell you a little bit about him. As I mentioned, Lanson is a native Houstonian, and he founded his namesake firm in 1994. He is, I would describe him as a cerebral landscape architect. He really gives thought to the environment, and he's going to talk about that, the three P's, 
the personality of the client, the personality of the site, and the personality of the architecture. And he also subscribes to my philosophy, which is there it has to be something in the project that wows the client, something they're not expecting. Lanson is the recipient of a John Staub Award, and he prides himself in seamlessly creating outdoor spaces that feel like they're part of the home. You can find him at lbj at lansonbjones.com or on Instagram at lansonbjones&co. Don't worry if you're driving, everything will be in the show notes. There's also a fun story at the end of the episode where Lanson talks about a photo of a dog, so that will be in the show notes as well. Before I let Cheryl in with announcements, I do want to follow up on something. I told you all I would be placing an order with Daniel House Club, and I want to report that I did in fact place an order. It was for a light fixture for a project we have going on right now. Uh, It was received quickly without fuss, and I have to say so far it was an amazing experience. So I look forward to placing a few more orders, and I'll keep you posted. Now, let's see what's happening at Business of Design. Well, we have a lot going on at Business of Design, uh, and it all starts tomorrow. Uh, Business of Design Live, Wednesday, March 16th at 1 p.m. EST. We are talking about hiring employees versus contractors, the pros and cons of each, and tackling the questions that we get uh, most on that topic. We really are using our Business of Design uh, Live meetings to talk about the topics that we get the most questions on. Last month at February's meeting, We talked about hourly versus flat fee projects, Uh, a lot of members sort of debating between the two and uh, really clarifying the systems that accompany both. So that recording is only available until we go live uh, tomorrow with our next member meeting. So make sure you catch up on the BOD live meetings. If you're not able to join us live, make sure you do check those out uh, within the month that we have them because they are live and we want to see members face to face. So please join us if you can. Uh, And then coming up, you're headed to Dallas really soon to join our first boss group for their second meeting, which is exciting. I know they're, you know, just making strides in their business and getting together every single month to touch base and hold each other accountable, which is amazing. So We are accepting applications for our next group, and that group will launch August 1st. So we are starting to wrap up the application process. If you're interested, head to businessofdesign.com. All the details for Boss Group are there. And of course, if you want to give me a call or email to ask any questions that you have, I am available. And that group will uh, meet for the first time in October. But there is homework that goes along with these boss meetings that you need to do in advance. So the group will officially launch on August 1st. And then we are absolutely counting down to the BOD Elite Retreat Santa Monica, which kicks off on April 28th. Eighth, It's coming so close and it's been far too long since we've done a retreat. So if you're, um, you know, ready to travel and get out there and hang out with design peers, uh, this is the opportunity to do that. So registration is still open if you want to join the group. April 28th to May 1st in Santa Monica. So details are on the website for all of these events. And uh, we look forward to seeing you at one or all of them. Take care. Oh, Cheryl, you mentioned the retreat. I'm just going to say two things. One, one of the homes we are going to is a few doors down from Gwyneth. 
you know who I mean. It's going to be epic. One of my favorite architects in the world. I can't believe we're getting into his house and I'm super excited. And I've got a number of my A-team willing to do a roundtable discussion with all of us. So that's going to be exciting as well. Looking forward to hanging out with you in Santa Monica. And if you haven't jumped onto the retreat this year, you really should. This is a great opportunity. I know in previous years, we sold out really fast, but life has been a bit dynamic, let's say. So there's a couple more spots and we'd love to have you. And now let's get into the show. Welcome to the Business of Design podcast with Kimberly Selden. Business of Design is the world's best business training for interior design professionals like you. We have the systems, strategies, and protocols you need to consistently satisfy clients, increase profitability, and run your projects like a boss. Unlike traditional coaching, BOD is a fast track to immediate results. Don't try to do this alone. Join today and you'll have access to hundreds of targeted training modules, plus member perks like BOD Live events, member-only podcasts, preferred pricing, and the support of an engaged community of peers. We all know design matters. At Business of Design, we think designers matter too. Lance, and I was really excited to talk to you today because so often on this podcast, we talk about the business side, how to be more profitable, how to create better systems that will allow you to make clients happier. And all those things are still really important, but we rarely get to talk about the magic, our superpowers, what it is that is hard to define that makes our work extraordinary. And I loved your application because you talked about marrying the three Ps, the client's personality, the personality of the site, and the personality of the architecture. And that has to be part of the magic of what we do, don't you think? Absolutely. So, Kimberly, um, that um, those three Ps, along with many other iterations um, that were defined over a period of years starting in 2005, it just came to me. I was getting ready to have a, a garden talk. Uh, here in Houston, and I invited my mother, and I wanted to do something unique and special for that garden talk, and so I was talking to mom about some of the things I did in school, and one of the the big highlights, uh, two two large highlights of my career, were um, I won a three-school competition uh, with the American Society of Landscape Architects on a project I designed while I was at A&M. And that was the beginning of my junior year. So that set up an opportunity to be able to go to Europe and, and study landscape architecture in Strasbourg, France. And when I, when I did that, it changed the trajectory of my future, uh, for sure. And so the three Ps came from that inspiration, inspirational period of time where I was in Europe for four and a half months uh, for an entire semester in 1978. Um, in a particular kind of phrase um, that I created, it was called the European Scaled Garden. I, at that time, I just knew I wanted to bring the ideas of the Renaissance, which we were studying extensively um, in Strasbourg, and we traveled all over Europe. We, we studied all the historical aspects of the Renaissance, and that's where the three Ps came from. 
because I learned how important it was to have three legs of the stool. So you, you, you have to have great relationships and understand their personality. You have to understand the personality of the site, uh, the off-site views, uh, the things overhanging your site, the things that impact what you might do on your site. And then the most of all, though, the idea of the personality of the architecture. I almost went into architecture design while I, when I entered A&M rather than landscape architecture design. I, was, uh, I loved architecture. I excelled at drafting in, in high school at Lamar. They're one of the few high schools that offered it. So that's where the three Ps came from. It was a very, I, I would call it, a continuous thread um, that wove um, these considerable ideas and these historic ideas together for me. I, I, I would say that the most money I ever wasted in my entire life, and I'm an, I'm an interior designer, um, was outside in the garden because I failed to recognize that you are at the mercy of the site you, I moved from Los Angeles to Toronto and I wanted peonies all year and hydrangeas all year. And it doesn't work that way. And I kept planting and buying plants that needed sun and putting them in my mostly shade garden. So is that what you mean by respecting the site and working with what you have? Well, it, it, it's funny, Kimberly, that is such an overlooked part of what we do as landscape architects. Um, there's so many areas of study that you can enter into, whether it's residential or commercial. And then as you get into residential, uh, which uh, I really started my career with residential and, and branched out to doing commercial work, but everything is about doing it in a unique and special way and understanding what you're working with. So, if you have a shaded site, it's going to be extremely different uh, than if you have a full sun site. And I'll yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say it's going to be full of hostas. <laughs> I became familiar with a dozen varieties of hostas, and they're very kind in that atmosphere. At least they, that was true in Toronto. Yes, and but, you know, it's funny you mentioned the hostas. So... Hostas, there's like one or two varieties that really do okay. They don't do great because they are highly susceptible to insect damage mm. So in, in the Houston area. So just knowing that fact and, and knowing that um, they can't have a lot of competition from roots. So it's not just a matter of knowing whether a site is sunny or shady but is that shade emanating from on site because there's a series or a single really large contributor of that shade? And that would be maybe like a live oak or a magnolia. And the root systems on these trees are extensive. So to think that you're all of a sudden going to create this great mound of shrubs of whatever it is, um, close to the tree is not realistic. And it's not 
really advise. That's a perfect example of how a little knowledge can do a lot of damage, right? That We see that with clients as well. And this seems like a good time to stop and say hello to our sponsors at Build Lane. business of design listener, you remember Build Lane. Build Lane is an app that manages end-to-end custom furniture needs. They are laser focused on one thing, making it easier for us to create custom furniture. Their partner workshop capabilities are nearly endless. The process is all online, so you work at your convenience. BuildLane isn't just technology, really it's a team. There are artists, craftspeople, design experts, and shipping pros all dedicated to helping you create something that you and your client will love. Go to buildlane.com backslash BOD for $100 off your first order. All quotes are fast and free. And by the way, I was super excited. They've made it even easier to create custom furniture quotes by adding templates. There are hundreds of classic and popular furniture styles ready for you to customize for your clients at the click of a button. And now back to the show. You have to know that as a landscape architect, just like we have to understand that we can't put draperies on a hot air vent. It's not going to work. But do you find, Lance, and you get uh, in your line of work what we often get, which is the client has an idea. They have a vision. They have a dream. And they tell us what that is and that somehow there's a conflict with what the client wants and what the site needs or what the architecture demands. And how do you deal with that conflict? So it's actually one of the more enjoyable aspects of, of what I do and have done for um, going on 28 years. And that is um, by just understanding the personality of the client through just experience, um, I think that's an important part of what makes the three legs of the stool allow it to stand up. So we've talked about the personality of the site. And that's rarely a one-off question or comment to a client. Like if they ask you a question about that, you have to get into their personality. Like if they say, I just, I grew up with roses and I just loved roses and I lived in California and, you know, it was a rose country and I just want lots of roses. And they have a giant live oak in their backyard. Um, So what you have to do is become a psychologist and you have to figure out. So the roses, was it just the idea of roses or do they just like really beautiful blooming plants? And then you take that after you ask curious questions, you take that information and you divert it and you change the direction of it and saying, Roses won't really work, but hydrangeas would be fantastic in this location. So that's where the crossover between interior design um, and working with clients on the inside and the outside um, really come to an important um, part of the stool that holds it up. 
Mm-hmm. I think also, well, so have you, I'm not familiar giving, with what landscaping in Houston, Texas must be like, but for example, if you, if here in California, you meet a client, she's got a Spanish colonial house and what she wants is mid-century modern furniture. It's my job to tell her that that vision may be in competition with the architecture that's already there. And I assume that that can happen in your world too, right? Like she may love an English garden, but if she's got, uh, you know, I don't know, some kind of Spanish colonial house, mm, maybe that isn't the best choice. So is, is that where psychology comes in as well and diplomacy? Yeah, I think also, uh, Kimberly, just being curious about history and about where the style of the house originated from and what inspired the various shapes and patterns, um, and then select particular ways that you can mirror and pattern that particular architectural style, and, uh, and then you may not be able to give them the exact plant they want, but you can mirror and pattern it in a way that still is respectful of the style. Right. So that's one of the first questions I always ask Emily is, what is the style of your house from their viewpoint? Because they may think that Spanish colonial is more of a French style and I might be walking the exterior and then all of a sudden they say, well, come inside. I want to show you something. And then they have a total English style or total French style. And so I have um, a tall order and that is how do you take um, all of these different style points and marry them together on the exterior? Right. Not easy. So there is a lot of psychology to it. Yeah, for sure. And I know that you you have, a, I'm going to call it a philosophy of impressing your clients. You, you know, just like you talked about at the beginning about you wanted, to, your mom was going to be in the audience and you kind of wanted to wow her. I know you feel that way about your projects. So how do you, you know, get the bones right and then do the extraordinary? Like what, how does that process work for you? Well, uh, let me um, give some examples that would maybe wrap that particular part up like a little package. And that is, I can only speak about what I do compared to what my competitors do. Mm-hmm. So a lot of my competitors that own biz- landscape architecture businesses or landscaping businesses are not landscape architects, practicing landscape architects themselves. Let me clarify that. They, they're they not in the trenches doing the design work. So mm-hmm. I, from the very beginning, was not a business owner. I was a landscape architect that obsessed over design. Mm-hmm. So that's just a path I chose for my firm. And if there's something that needs to be changed or done, on a project, I just do it. And then I talk to the clients. We, we, we always organize and we talk to the clients about choices. But if there's some sort of disagreement over something, I'm going to do what design-wise is right. And I'll worry about the consequences 
of trying to be reimbursed for that particular item later uh, because design is just too important. And I, I find that great design is something we all love. If, if it isn't for design, <clears throat> I would have never, never done this business on my own. If I was just running a business and, and not having my hands in the clay, I would not have done this business. But having a design, build, maintain business has allowed me to paint a vision, follow through on installation of that vision, and then maintain that vision. Um, because a lot of times the height of things have not been determined after it's been put in the ground because things need to grow and things change and there's more shade, there's more light, there's whatever it is. I just love talking about design and I love fixing things. So uh, Brendan, um, who is our COO, he has a name, a, a tag in his office. It's a title and it's called Fixer of Everything. <laughs> So I'm not a fixer of everything. I'm a fixer of what is aching in the heart of that client and the, just the, the just sheer pain that I, I sense in clients that have put up with, with mediocrity, that have put up with um, total chaos in their garden yeah. um, and clutter and to go in and paint a picture um, right up front about how it could change and how it could be simplified and how um, with just a little bit of obsession, it could be changed into something fantastic. And that is magic. Being able to do that is magic. You have the knowledge and you lean into that, but, I, but getting to that creative solution, um, it must be, amazing to watch your projects change and grow because our projects stay they're fixed uh they don't tear they don't grow you know in that sense but it must be amazing to come back year after year and see how the plants the shrubs the flowers the trees are doing and have that almost eternal connection with your clients you know it's interesting you said that um because i'll give you an example of a, of a client of mine who has recently passed away in the last year. And she was a very creative person and, um, and an Emmy award winner. Um, and she was always very, um, very artistically minded and theatrically spoken. So everything was in prose. It was in um, just describing things in an incredible story type way. And she shared something with me when I created an English garden for her. And at the, at the place where you enter the garden off of her back porch, there was a giant boxwood sphere that was the center line of the garden. And then she had a, a fountain beyond, and this boxwood sphere centered on that fountain. Mm -hmm. And I, I, do, I work with a lot of center lines in gardens and doing formal and informal balancing. And anyway, she, uh, I was visiting with her about the maintenance on the garden, and, and um, I think the fountain needed cleaning and, and, 
our crew was getting ready to come in and, and clean up things and make it look beautiful once again. Um, and she said to me, Lanson, you just can't believe it. I have a cup of coffee. I come out here, I sit on the back porch, and then I walk down the three steps to the garden level, and I go and I go hug my boxwood sphere. I love that boxwood sphere, and it just greets me in the garden. And so you can see that one plant could be that emotional to a client. And it just continued to tell me that we all love great design. Yeah. Oh, that's lovely. It's so true. Well, thank you. I I can see that there's so many similarities between being a landscape architect and interior design professional. So much we can learn. I I just want to ask you two two more questions. Uh, I want to end the episode with design intervention, just a great piece of advice that you would give to anyone. But selfishly, I want to know what your favorite gardens around the world are. I'm going to England this summer and I assume I'm going to hunt down some beautiful garden tours. And I just wonder if you have some favorites. Well, any of the gardens that were from the Renaissance period, uh, starting um, in the 1400s in Italy, and, um, and then in France, it moved to France in the 1700s. And then in the 1800s, we had the Renaissance gardens of England. So uh, just to tell you my favorite garden of all gardens, um, is Volley Become. So I was there. When we were there, I, uh, we, we got to get off on Thursdays at noon, and we got to, and, and they did that purposely so that the students could all travel on their own all over Europe, and Strasbourg was called the hub of Europe, so you could travel anywhere at the time, and this is back in 78, on an express train within eight hours. Um, so we... We went to Paris, and and right outside of Milan was Voli Vicom, and it was considered to be the jewel of all of the French gardens. And so I know you're going to be going to England. If you could stop over in France and visit <laughs> Voli Vicom. I have oh, actually man. taken a group there before. We um, we take people to various cities around the world to learn about design and architecture, and we have been there. And it's funny because um, I didn't realize that... Was the fountain funny? Yes. This was, oh. oof, this was a decade ago since I've been there. But I need to go again. I need to go again. Just the things I learned historically, like looking at the use of gravel, or they couldn't afford uh, a million square feet of some sort of paving. And so they would use this really well-compacted gravel. And I, I just grew to love the sound of it, yes. the feel of it, the look of it. Yeah. And, and so just learning from that and also that you do not ever, ever fight with the architecture. You don't cover it up. You don't cover up windows. You don't cover up doors. You're very respectful of mirroring and patterning the architecture. All of that, I just came to appreciate. Um, like, in my favorite Italian garden is Villa Lante. So it, it, it's incredible uh, in Italy. And we took a two-week studded tour of Italy during our time there. And we had an, uh, our history prof 
um, told us all about all the things we'd read about. And so seeing it in person and stepping into the part of the garden at, uh, uh, at Villa Lante, where to this day, literally this was in the, in the 1600s that this thing was designed and built, that it has pressure plates underneath where you walk. And then all of a sudden, sprays come out and get you wet surprises you so and and i think that told me i need to have surprise and mystery in the gardens that i design and so it's funny i have not said those words in a long time kimberly and so whenever i say things and it's just kind of a odd wow i hadn't thought about that in a long time what it means is be careful when you walk in one of my gardens now. <laughs> if we ever get a chance to see each other. <laughs> I w- are you kidding? I would so love to see you. How What a wonderful experience it would be to tour gardens with you and to learn from your perspective. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, I know when I go to a new city, the first thing I do is I check and find out if there's a museum in a home. Uh, and because like you, I just look for what can I learn? How can I add to my projects? It's it's just a never end. What a wonderful career we picked. It's never ending what we can learn. And we do like to end with a design intervention. So what advice would you leave the listeners? Well, I, I would say there, there it's hard to pick because there's kind of five things that I, I really have thought about in my career. One was you can't do it all. I had the second person I ever worked with, Ina's partner. And I, I just love doing everything. And when you're working for somebody else, many times you can do that. But when you're working for yourself, at the beginning you have to do it. But then as you have choices, you can pick and choose. And so I love at this stage of my career, I focus on meeting with clients along with my my operations person, uh, Brendan, that I mentioned earlier, and we meet with every new potential client. We love that, and I wouldn't miss that. In the past, I didn't do that. We had a person that we hired to do um, that kind of work, and I, I wouldn't ever not meet with clients. And then working on design work, but not just design work where I go off in a room, but uh, rethinking it, recreating it, and, and then making others a, a partner in it. So they're part of the presentation creation. And, um, and then the next thing was, so you can't do it all. And the next thing is be curious. So I, I, I just tell them, just be curious and, you know, and surprise people. So uh, just to give you an idea, each day, uh, Kimberly, we put a fun fact in. Um, so Jennifer Oral is here in our office, and she creates a fun fact because she is a guru of history and just fun facts and about animals and people and, and the way things were created and invented. And she puts that fun fact on the board. And then she even entered a contest in the National Enquirer because her grandmother, of all things, cannot deal with cell phones or computers or laptops or anything like that. 
So she decided that because her grandmother loves reading the National Enquirer, that she entered a contest with her dog. Uh, so they're going to pick out the cutest dog. And her, out of all the entrants, hers won. And I'm looking at a copy um, with magnets on our whiteboard, and it's her little dog, Rocco. And he is he has this flower bouquet around his neck. And he's so cute. And um, anyway, that's part now of our presentation. I explained to them about Jen and how she came up with a fun fact. I explained about Rocco and how he came to be in the magazine. I, I would just say those two things, you can't do it all. And then just be curious. Aww. And it will go a long way. That is such a fun story. And now Angela, I know you have a publicist. Angela needs to send us a picture of Rocco so we can, everybody can go to the website where you'll find information about how to be in touch with Lance and Jones as well. And you'll find a picture. Hopefully we'll, we'll have a picture of Rocco on the website as well. Oh, he's a cutie. Lance, and thank you so, so much for today. You are welcome. And Kimberly, thank you for including us. Abby and I truly enjoyed it. Thank you for being part of the Business of Design community and supporting BOD's mission to improve the industry one design business at a time. It's time for you to take the next step and join Business of Design. Like thousands of design professionals in 50 countries around the world, you'll find the systems, strategies, and protocols you need to dramatically improve your business and transform your life. What are you waiting for? Start today.